Welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. And that's comic books, people. Uh, this is the podcast where two brothers talk about comic books they've loved their whole lives. This season we are doing and are wrapping up with this episode, The Fantastic Four. I'm one of your two hosts. My name is Will Hines. I'm your other host, Kevin Hines. I'm Will's brother. That's right. We're brothers. Uh, Kevin and I are also performers and teachers at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater, which means we're hilarious. I am in Los Angeles. Kevin is in the New York City area. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we got both coasts covered. Midwest, you're on your own. Yeah, Kevin, we've been talking about the Fantastic Four, and this is our last episode about the original run of Fantastic Four. Yeah, last episode we covered through issue 102, which is Kirby's last issue. Uh, Stan Lee stays on for a while, and uh, we're done. Uh, Jack Kirby, the artist, co-writer, and co-creator. As w- and, and not Kirby, the Nintendo character that swallows things. Yeah, nor- That's been a big misunderstanding from people who thought he was the artist we've been talking about. Yeah, that's really, that's really held people up. Also, I just thought it was Luigi for the first half of the time we did the podcast. I thought sure, yeah. Luigi was the artist behind the Fantastic Four. Yeah, you know, we keep talking about how great the art was, and you're like, I wonder what Mario would draw like, and I didn't know what you meant. Yeah, I hope Wario doesn't get in here and mess things up, I would say. Yeah, and I would just move on. Yeah, so we're going to wrap things up. Here's, and we- here's what I like about Wario. Okay. Is this what we're getting into? Yeah. So there's Mario. Yeah. Okay. He's got the evil Mario, which is just like his M flipped upside down. He's Wario. Yeah. Right? That sort of makes sense if you don't think about it too much. I never realized that until this moment, but it does make sense. That it's, but the evil Mario's just with a W. Okay, yeah. Okay, you changed one letter. Then there's Luigi, the, and the evil Luigi is Wa Luigi. Interesting. So it's not like they didn't change the L, they just flipped, they just added the W, like this universe of evil characters is just Wa, and it just happened to work out really well for Mario, the first one we met. I think it's anyway. a fun system, and we should use that in our world. Sure, all right. Like the bad versions of things should be Wa. So you'd be Wa Will? Yeah, because I'm evil. Uh, there'd be Star Wars, and then instead of calling it Phantom Menace, it would be Wa Star Wars. Okay, all right, fair enough. You can uh, use that Disney Plus. Disney Plus, it's all yours. Um, so yeah, we're doing Fantastic Four. This is the last episode. We have a couple of sort of loose ends, things we want to cover related to the Jack Kirby Stanley run, and then maybe we, we're going to do some a little summary. I, going over these issues, I, I'm really glad we did because I had read the first six a million times, the first. 20 or so a handful of times up through issue whatever it was 55 two or three times but and i'd never read the other ones and going through each week i've i really feel like i know these issues well and i'm glad for it it's a bedrock of marvel comics yeah i think i'd read through probably in the 80s somewhere i don't think i read through 102 i think i tailed off shortly before that yeah um i went like one essential longer than i think i needed to when I was reading those. Yeah. And I sort of was like, oh, I don't need the next one, even though Kirby hadn't left yet. Right. Because uh, I hadn't read, like, the Magneto Namor team up for sure. Right. But I'm pretty sure I read, like, the house that came to life that they, that Sue tried to rent. Yeah, the, oh, the Mole Man house? Yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure I'd read that at least once before this reread. Anyway, yeah. Uh, so what it, kind was of, great, me, it was great rereading it again. So tell me, Kevin, what is great about this run what did what is so what who cares like what is so great about this fantastic four run i think more than the avengers this is epic marvel storytelling at its birth uh now i haven't read thor so maybe there's some of that in there but like when you think about like avengers infinity war i think that owes more to this fantastic four run than it does to the early avenger stories Interesting. The early Avengers stories always felt to me just like adventures. They go off, they fight somebody, they come back. Yeah, villain of the week. Where the, the best month. parts of Fantastic Four fit, feel huge and insurmountable. And even if the Avengers become uh, supporting characters in that story, uh, there's it's so deep and dense and so much is there. It feels bigger than the comic. It feels like Fantastic Four is a window into the comic story mm-hmm. and you're only getting what you can see through the FF's eyes. I think the word sweeping comes to mind. Yeah. And, and it's not even necessarily the long arcs because I think that also is sort of true of the Annihilus story we just covered, uh, Annual 6. Right. Where they go into the negative zone to get a cosmic rod cure. And it's, you know, that's revisiting a lot of things that we'd already established in that comic, but that feels huge and immense, 
even though it is basically just like trying to get this medicine for their sick loved one, you know, not unlike uh, Peter Parker getting medicine for Aunt May, they're getting medicine for Sue and Franklin. Um, but it's in it such a crazy, you know, but that story ends with them on an asteroid heading into Earth to be destroyed. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. The, the epic feel, uh, of course, in the Galactus saga, the long arcs, but also just how even like in a annual or even in a single issue, there just seemed to be a lot of depth. Yeah, the inhuman stuff all feels huge and epic, even when it isn't that much going on. It just feels enormous to me. Some stuff doesn't feel as big, but like the best of the FF stories, even that Hulk battle, the two-issue Hulk battle, feels huge. There's something about, yeah, Kirby seems to have an epic feel, even when the adventure is technically small, because he'll just like have a ton of machines... The villain will have a bunch of alien henchmen running around him that we've never seen before. Um, Reed will whip out some device, and then the torch will have some flame shape that he's never used. Like, just visually, it was inventive every issue. That that kind of gave it depth also. Yeah, I mean, their powers, they, each one of them feels like a powerhouse. Even though Reed is just a stretchy guy, he feels like he alone could take down most threats. Before you even get to the thing, like lifting up huge machinery or, you know, torch firing a giant sun-sized fireball at a city. And these guys feel like global threats. What do you think about uh, what's Stan Lee's contribution to this? I, I, I Coherence, probably. Yeah. yeah. More like I think he brought humanity more to Spider-Man. He definitely brings humanity to the Fantastic Four. But I think Kirby also brings some humanity. I don't think Kirby ignored that part. Right. Well, I guess warmth is what he brought to Spider-Man. And I think family aspect, I think Kirby would have had some of that, it feels like. But uh, there's so much going on, and it's so huge that you need some, like, guardrail to hang on to. Right. Yeah, it's hard. I can't imagine reading the Galactus story without, you know, Stan Lee sort of holding my hand during it. Yeah, he definitely does a little, like, he band-aids together a lot of huge logical leaps that the pictures are taking. It gives them at least the veneer of sense that helps you, like, follow it. Um, and, you know, St- you know, and Stan's voice, his pompous, not pompous, his, like, grand, grandiose, alliterative, rambling, ver- verbose style is a style. Like, that is the voice of Marvel Comics. Yeah. So, like, when Galactus and the Watcher are having some grand discussion about the folly of humanity, that's some good shit right there, man. I just, I, I guess I just think by the time the Avengers gets to their epic storytelling, I guess would that be, like, the Kree-Skrull War or things like that? I think they're they're pulling from the Fantastic Four's footprint. That's I mean, interesting. That's interesting. It, I like that. It's not a surprise, I think, that, like, before Kang, the FF fight a time traveler, you know, and Galactus, who feels like an Avengers-level threat, shows up for the Fantastic Four. Yeah, that's interesting. Do you think that there's anything like the FF today in comics? I mean, I, I mean, other than the Fantastic Four themselves. Do, are they still like the Fantastic Four of old? Does the current Fantastic Four feel like old school Fantastic Four? I think they do at times. I, I think one of the things that separates the Fantastic and I talked a little bit about this before, is, but I think the Fantastic Four are separate from other teams in that they aren't a collection of heroes that sort of got together because they're all heroes. They're not the Justice League, and they're not the Avengers. They are this group of people that were already together that got powers. And I don't think there's that much of those. And I think that adds a, a, a connection between each other that almost makes the Fantastic Four one character. I have a speculation over what makes the FF special, and it's partly because the FF is a little rough around the edges in terms of its idea, like it's inconsistent. Like, I don't like how Sue is not treated as a good character for the whole of Jack Kirby's run. Yeah, that's a negative. But I do like that just things are uneven in a way, like you won't hear a lot, you won't see Reed use his stretching power for several issues a lot. And then like Johnny won't be a factor for a couple issues. Uh, and then it'll be all about Ben for a while, or Ben will kind of vanish while it is Johnny and and Reed. And then it'll be weirdly the Inhumans will take over the comic for a while, and the FF are almost like supporting characters in their own comic. And 
Namor's love triangle is sometimes a big deal and sometimes not. Ben sometimes doesn't want to be the thing and sometimes he does. Those These are flaws in terms of being inconsistent, but it makes the FF have a sense of chaos that I like. Like it's, I like that it's not so buttoned up. I, I almost like that it's sloppy. It gives it the feeling of a, of a race car going faster than it should and you feel like it might fall apart at any second in an exciting way. I think I agree with you for like at least the early issues. Later on, I kind of wish there was some uh, more cohesion. I think I would enjoy that. I like the continuity sometimes. Um, You know, things I get bothered by the fact that like some issues Ben wants to be cured and some issues he doesn't. And it's like, well, what changed his mind? Why why did it shift? I believe it would shift. I just want to see that happen. Yeah. Uh, Maybe modern storytelling has spoiled me in that sense. Like why today? What? Why is it bothering him today? Why not yesterday? Why you know? I mean, that it, sort of it stuff. is bad, but to some degree, I believe that's part of the alchemy. It's like Kirby unleashed. There's like an unleashed feeling throughout it. Yeah, I also think continuity maybe would slim down to things. It's like oh, hypnosis always seems to take away their powers. You'd think Reed would do something about that. Yeah, uh, or thing turns evil like five times. Right. Or quits the team, uh, and you know because he's mad at them, or gets turned back into the thing permanently at least three times. <laughs> I think ironically that's part of it. Like somehow, I I, I think well, if you smooth I, it out a hundred percent, you lose something. I mean that's probably true of the entire Marvel universe. Like that's what's missing from it. Ever at you know, f- basically after this ru- era, because even now with Kirby and Ditko gone. I think Marvel kind of falls into sort of a rut. I think it's lost some of its we don't know what we're doing feel. Yeah, they lose their visionaries. They, it just feels like, oh, now this is just a comic book company, not sort of like, where did this come from? Yeah. Although I haven't read a ton of 70s stuff. I wonder if I'm sure there's aspects to it that are great that we just don't know just from lack of having read a lot of it. Like, you know, like you've said, I'm sure Marv Wolfman and Jerry Conway and Jim Starlin and Roy Thomas, when they get in there, they're doing things that are special. But maybe there was an overall vision that was lost or something. I mean, Conway was great. And I uh, but I think he was also he even when he was doing things as huge as killing Gwen Stacy, it still didn't feel like, oh, he didn't think this through. Yeah, you know, it it didn't have that feeling to it. Yeah, um, Marvel Comics of the '60s almost felt improvised a little bit. It might be why things like Howard the Duck became such a big deal because it probably just felt like, well, you can't do this. Yeah, this can't be a comic book at the Marvel Universe. Yeah, and the fact that it is excited people maybe that's yeah. a guess, but I know that was huge. Like that was like in between in the era I didn't read a lot. It was, th- it was weird things, I think, that took a hold of people. Was that a monster stuff took over in the 70s? There's like werewolf by night, do you know what I mean? And yeah, yeah. son of Dracula, or is it son of Satan? And then son also, of Satan. And then um, Mobius the Living Vampire. like, And even like Man Thing. There just seems to be like monsters galore in the 70s. I don't know. The 70s Marvel is a, is sort of a blind spot for me. Like I've, I've only read it in pieces here or there. I read a lot of 60s Marvel, and I read a ton of 80s Marvel. But uh, 70s Marvel, I've only had like little sporadic looks into. I mean, I think that's where like Marvel 2-in-1 and the Defenders and all these sort of like stabs at something. I don't think Marvel knew <laughs> what to do next. And certain creators tried things. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I haven't read a ton of it either. Um, but I think it, maybe it was a reaction to like Marvel no longer having, being able to take risks with their main books. Yeah. Or just maybe not even that they couldn't take risks, but they just weren't. Maybe there like was those just... books were established. At a certain point, people wanted a, a specific thing out of the Fantastic Four and Spider-Man, and the creators knew that, and the, and everyone knew that, so that's what was there. Maybe also Where... there was nobody to stand up to Stan Lee either. Like, you know, he was the guy that brought everybody in. Like, Jack and Ditko didn't have reverence for Stan. Yeah. So I, I think it's tough to recapture that feel for a comic book, that sort of... I mean, even early image comics didn't quite have... Because it wasn't one voice didn't have the feel of um, the chaos, the the brilliant chaos of that the early Marvel stuff did. Yeah. And I don't know what else would even... And I think also just comic book creators as a profession are just more polished than they've ever been. So if someone's starting to make comic books, if someone's making their first comic ever, they're still building it on the backs of Kirby and Ditko. Yeah. Instead of like Kirby and Ditko, 
I mean, maybe they were building out the backs of people, but also it was still so much their thing. I think it's it's impossible to replicate aspects of that. Who's what's an example of a modern and I'm gonna modern loosely modern since 1990, which is not even really modern, but like a comic that is like has swaggering confidence where the creator just feels like he's just following his own impulse regardless of what destruction he leaves in his wake. I mean, is like, was the tick like that? Was the mask like that? No, I don't think so. Probably the closest thing to that is like, I think Eric Larson's Savage Dragon comic is like that. He definitely, it was a comic that I enjoyed when it first started and I don't really enjoy now, but every now and then I pick up an issue just because I'm curious and it definitely feels like a, uh, this is 100% what Eric Larson wants to do. It doesn't sell super great. It sells good enough for him to keep doing it. And there's thousands of characters and thousands of ideas. Uh, he doesn't care if it's, I mean, I think he does care. So this is sort of, uh, may sound like an insult, but it, it, it doesn't seem like he cares what anyone else wants. Yeah. Uh, and it definitely has that feel. I mean, it's just him making that comic. I think it takes that sort of thing. I see. I see. Um, and like I said, for a long stretch, I really enjoyed that comic. And then at a certain point, it lost me, uh, and it's never really brought me back. But, I mean, he's been doing it for, like, 200 issues, <laughs> just this one guy writing and drawing everything. Hellboy kind of had a sort of, like, where is this going feel to me in its first, like, you know, first sort of early phases. Yeah, I think it probably did up until recently. It still held on to that. It just sort of felt like Mike Mignola had a plan, but nobody else understand it. <laughs> he also just seemed to... Some some stories would be sort of funny and lighthearted and some would be, you know, ominous and terrifying and some would be straight out superhero stories and some would just be mysteries. And it was a, in, a, in a fun way, it was like, oh, I wonder what this one's going to be in Hellboy. It all sort of ended recently, Hellboy. I mean, he's still doing comics, but they're all set in the past, I think now. But even shortly before that, I, f I found it, it got unwieldy to me. But for a long time, I was loving that the, the Hellboy verse was one of my favorite things to read. Maybe we should move on and do these other issues we want to talk about. Um, I want to talk a little, one more thing. Okay. I think one other thing I, and I, we talked a little bit about this when we were rereading it, is that the, um, I guess my reactions to the reread were that the, the second burst of issues, the ones we called the bad ones, were worse than I remembered. Okay, yeah. They like were... The, um, the late teens or whatever, the... Yeah. Like, sort of after the first eight... Yeah. which were still fun and, and exciting. It got, like, sloppier than I remembered. And I was like, oh, these are sort of hard to get through for me. Right. And I remember having to go, like, why was this a hit? Yeah. Uh, and then it gets as good, if not better, than I remember. The Star Inhuman stuff was so good. Mm -hmm. I, I remembered how good the Galactus and Black Panther was. But the Inhuman stuff, I, I was like, oh, man, I'm really loving this. Yeah. And then it was the the latter stuff was better than I remembered. Yeah, me too. I enjoyed the like the issues in the '90s more than I thought. Yeah, even though I don't, they're they're a huge step down. As I was reading them, and I don't remember them that well, they don't stick with me. I think we've talked about, it, but the, as I was reading them, I was like, "This is fun." Like if I bought this off the newspaper stand, I'd be like, "Ooh, that was good." Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. maybe I'd be mad that it was shorter or, or bigger panels like the readers of the time, but I think I'd have been like, "That was a fun issue. I just want more of it." What's the fun of going through the original source stuff and actually learning, like, which parts were good and bad? It's like when you watch all the Marx Brothers movies, you know, like, oh, this is a good Marx Brothers movie and this one's a bad one. Or like Peanuts, you know, when they released the complete Peanuts, the Charlie Brown and Snoopy yeah. comic strip. And um, I read all of them. Uh, it gets sort of bad in the 90s. Not sort of bad. It gets bad. Like, it's – or I, I found it to be very boring. But then in the – right towards the end, like the last two years, it sort of picks up again. It sort of gets funny, and he kind of finds a groove right before he, well, died. But Yeah, um, I think you've told me that, and I think our friend Connor has mentioned that. Uh, I've never read that last batch of stuff. There's like a little uptick where you're like, you've given up on it, and then it, find, it has some new life to it. Be, being able to know that about a long run of stuff is sort of fun. Or people like who are Simpsons experts, and they can tell you like which seasons are the strong seasons. Uh, it's just it's fun to have that knowledge of a, of a big pop culture landscape. So I guess we have that of the first 102 issues now. Yeah, and I don't think those things work if you pick them up in isolation. Like, as I'm talking about, like, oh, I grabbed a random issue of Dragon again. That's well, not as good. But also, like, if maybe if I'd read through everything and never stopped, I'd be like, ooh, it's good right now. Yeah. Uh, and I think, like, that's probably true of the Peanuts, where it's like, if, if I read just those issues alone, 
But if I'd been reading through them all, I'd be like, oh, it's getting good again. Yeah. You know um, re- relatively what's going on. I think about that mostly because you brought up Simpsons where people every now and then will be like, oh, recent episode of Simpsons was as good as the classic episodes. And so I'll watch it. I'll be like, no, it was not. <laughs> um, but maybe if I'd watched every episode between, I'd be like, this is, though, a high watermark of the latter version, which is still something. Yeah. It's impressive. It it's a fun run, and I, I, there's, if anything, I'm left wanting more of things. I like wanted more Crystal with the FF's event, uh, adventures. Yep. Um, it feels like that happens and then sort of taken away from us very quickly. Uh, I also wanted like more adventures with all five of them doing things. Yep, I would have loved that. I wanted the Inhumans always around. I wanted Dragon Man always around. <laughs> I wanted basically Dragon Man to be like a permanent fixture in the Baxter Building that just came out every now and then. Like an issue just starts with like the thing taking the dragon man out for exercise or something. <laughs> That'd be fun. I just like I want that to be their life. Like their life just grows out of control, but is all normal to them. Like that's oh, Thursday, time to take out the negative zone refuse. <laughs> I don't know. I probably wanted their relationships a little bit more solid. Like sometimes Ben and Johnny are fighting. Sometimes they're friends. That seems really arbitrary because Sue was never defined. Her relationships with everybody is similarly foggy. Like it'd be nice if she was protective of Johnny. She's the big sister. Sweet on Ben, like a a non-romantic affection towards Ben, protective. What if Reed and Ben were kind of like button heads all the time because they were roommates or something and they've, they're more like peers kind of. Yeah. I mean, all that stuff I think would add to it. But it was it was uh, a fun read. The art was tremendous and powerful. Um, it was also fun to watch Kirby's art evolve, as well as Joe Sinnott come onto the stage. I think yeah. both those things were just really fun to see. I agree. I mean, it it's probably, I don't know if it's true, but it feels like Joe Sinnott brought better stuff out of Kirby. And then when Kirby left, like he brought some of that with him. Like, I think he learned from Joe. He tried to draw stuff so that it would already look like the way it was going to look when Joe inked it. Yeah, I mean, that's me making something up. I don't know if that's true, but it, the Joe Sinnott stuff feels like fourth world. Yeah. And I don't believe Joe inked the fourth world, so... Yeah, I mean, he has to get some credit for that sort of next stage of Kirby art. Which also I can imagine being off-putting to people because it's so blocky and, and bombastic. It's got style, though. It's got, like, yeah. a, it's got a choice. It's like, it doesn't look like everything else. Mm-hmm. So let's talk briefly about um, the Lost issue. Yeah, so tell us what we're talking about here, Kev. This is an interesting story. So this came out, it was released, I guess, I think it was like the 90s, uh, maybe the aughts, early aughts. But there was a, Kirby, I guess, had written an issue or drawn an issue of the Fantastic Four that either didn't make sense or Stanley didn't like for some reason, or there was some corrections they needed to make, changes needed to happen to it. And so they kind of set it aside and, and he was like, let's just do the next issue. Let's just skip it and go to the next issue that we had planned, which is the Magneto namor team up and that's when kirby quit he brought that issue and he's like this is it i'm not continuing but because of that they had this sort of issue that never got published of kirby art and then like shortly after kirby left they took those that story and sort of repurposed it into a fantastic four comic right and so like part of it was kirby and part of it was drawn by other people and it was sort of chopped up and and reworked and maybe about half of it was used and then like much much later on Almost like these Beatles recordings. Well, you Thank know you. those. I've never heard of them, but I'm going to look into it because you mentioned it. They basically had this like, oh, we have this story that Kirby wrote. Let's get Stan, who's still alive, to dialogue it. And it's like we get a bonus issue. Uh, the comic had been chopped up enough that I think they were missing panels and things like that. But they did the best they could and tried to, like, recapture the original comic. Right. And they, like, released it as an issue where... Um, and the collection we had had this, like, new issue. Oh, they got Joe Sinnott to ink it again. So it was Lee Kirby Sinnott doing issue 103, in a sense, or, like, 101.5. Right. And then they had the issue. They had the original art, what they had of it, and looked just pencils. And then they also had the issue that repurposed the art. All three of them sort of sold as a comic called Fantastic Four, The Lost Adventure. Yes, we have the one that was published as issue 108. Yeah. Then we have the 90s version trying to be faithful to Kirby's plan, but with Stan and Joe. Mm -hmm. And then there's also just the pencils that Kirby left behind with nobody evolving them to see see what he had. Yeah. And then there's lots of missing panels there 
with just sort of a guess at what those panels covered. And so that got published as something called the Fantastic Four, The Lost Adventure. And that's it's really it's really fun to read. What did you think of the story? It was good. It didn't fully make sense. Yeah. Like, and, and obviously we're missing panels, so it's tough to know whether that was always true. And I feel like there's even changes in this story where I'm like, oh, this is clearly not what Kirby meant. Um, he didn't always think stuff through, though. Like, you don't know if you're being unfaithful to him or if it's just this is something he didn't figure out. This is the story of Janice, who is the who is twin brothers, one of whom is evil, one of whom is good. And the evil guy has something called Mega Man power. Is that right? Yeah, or Nega Power or Mega Power. I think it's both, depending on which version we're talking about. And yeah, the, Janice the Mega Man in the Lee Kirby Senate version. So it's like they're fighting this power. The it's the bad guy is like the the bad guy they have to fight and his power. But there's also the relationship between him and his nice brother. Yeah, who is a classmate of Reed's. It's 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 really interesting to see all three. Like the one they did in issue 108 is, I think, the worst of the three. It feels. I mean, imagine reading that issue not knowing the story behind it. You'd be like, "What is this? Why do they tell it?" It's like told through flashback and like correcting itself and not finishing. Th- it just it's you could just tell it was thrown together and not the problems were not solved. Yeah. And then um, the one they did in the 90s, the one with Stan, Joe, and Kirby. That that does make sense. And it's yep. pretty solid, and it does feel like a Jack Kirby Fantastic Four story more than you know. It doesn't feel like a great one, but it feels like a legit one. It feels like it would slot in very easily in the nineties. In the issue, in the issue of oh, in the Marvel nineteen yeah. nineties, or in the Fantastic Four. No, in the nineties, the yeah, the nineties, like ninety five, ninety six, ninety seven. Like if this issue happened, you would be, you wouldn't blink. Right, those issue numbers. Right. Um, I thought it was funny how in the so in this version that came out in the nineteen nineties. Where they they dusted Stan off and said, do the dialogue for this. And uh, he is so proud of Jack Kirby's fight sequences that there's one page where Mega Man just beats up like five different things in New York City. And Stan has a caption. It's like, sorry, we don't don't have that much action for you, fans. Sarcastic Stan. I'm I'm going to reread the exact caption because I think it's very funny. Rereading this page after all these years, I suddenly feel compelled to apologize for the lack of action. I guess Jack and I were just kind of coasting at the time. Sarcastic Stan. Like, he's so proud of just action, action, action. <laughs> as if that's, like, what every fan is wanting, or as, as if that's the only thing that a comic book is measured on. But this is where Mega Man bursts out of his ship, shoots his laser and disperses a crowd, issues gas to knock off a security guard, and immediately breaks into a bank vault, all within four panels. And the thing arrives on the scene. It's, it's really funny. Yeah, the thing was just sort of there. That was a weird part of it. Yeah, the thing is just checking out a safe deposit box. Yeah. Um, It's fun. It's really fun. And um, I think like those sort of when they find lost tracks of bands and things, it just sort of feels like, oh, yeah, you can see why this one was set aside. But because this became so special, this run was so special, I'm also glad it was unearthed. Like if there was a lost Ditko issue of Spider-Man, even a bad one, I would devour it. But it was also interesting to see Kirby's pencils, because what they did here in this, like, special compilation for this issue, they showed Kirby's pencils, and on his pencils, he would have notes in the margin to indicate what the story was and yes. and, and suggestions of dialogue, or at least the content of dialogue. That version was never totally followed. Yeah. I mean, there's also Stanley Border notes on these these pencil pages, too. So some of it is Kirby notes, and some of it is Stan notes. Right. So... There's we there is no version that is the hundred percent Jack Kirby version of this story because like it opens and they have a bust of Janus, the bad guy that we're about to see. Janus is a two faced Roman god, but it's also the name of these twin brothers or whatever. And so yes. there's there's a the splash page of this issue is a is a a bust of a statue with two faces, one evil, one good. And in the published version, the version that came out of the 1990s, Reed is like, oh, yes, that's a memento of one of our greatest adventures. But in the Jack Kirby pencils, Kirby's note is like, somebody wants Alicia to assess this statue, and it's a clue to the villain. It's done in present time of the story. But that's never yeah. that's never done. In the In the... Kirby pencils, he's like carbon dating it. He's figuring out how old it is. But then in the other versions, he's like using a scanner to like tell a story about it. We don't 100% know Jack Kirby's full intention, although the 1990s version is the closest for sure. Yeah. And I mean, it sounds like uh, Lee and Kirby had some 
tug and um, you know pull and push anyway on these stories often. So it's probably true to what it would have been published as. And I think the editors at the time probably helped massage out, like, whatever Lee couldn't figure out, I'm sure. It wasn't like Lee all of a sudden was like, I cracked the nut. I think it was more these editors were like, let's just figure it out together. You don't have to do this alone. Yeah. Um, it's fun just to see pencils, also uninked pencils. Like, Kirby's pencils are beautiful just on their own. Yeah. I mean, I also think it's interesting to see Joe Sinnott's 90s. Uh, I keep saying 90s. I'm pretty sure it was the 90s. Uh, but Joe Sinnott's inks are still so strong. 2008 is when it came out. Oh, geez, Louise. And it's advertised as it's the comic book equivalent of a Lost Beatles track. Kevin, your metaphor was dead on. Yeah, yeah. A Lost Adventure. I think it's worth checking out if you haven't seen it. It's fun. Uh, This is Will and Kevin from Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. And hey, if you're enjoying this podcast... Maybe try listening to our first season. Yeah, maybe. We started this podcast by doing a whole season, 50 episodes, all about Spider-Man comics. We even did it under a different name. Screw it. We're just going to talk about Spider-Man. And we did one episode for each issue of the original comic book run that was done by Spidey's creators, Steve Ditko and Stan Lee. Plus, we spent time talking about the Spider-Man movies, the recent video game, one on Steve Ditko, one on Stan Lee, and lots of other fun stuff. And all those episodes are still up. They should be part of the same feed you use to get this podcast so if you're a fan of spider-man uh check those out screw it we're just going to talk about comics but in this case we're just talking about the first season where we talk about spider-man all from campfire media Um, but yeah now let's talk about grand design so marvel released a while back an x-men grand design comic which is sort of um but it was sort of a retelling of claremont's x-men stories very condensed by an indie creator, Ed Pisker. He was just sort of retelling the entire Claremont run as one story. It was like a four-issue or three-issue story. His art was really cool, and he made some changes, and he sort of streamlined some stuff because you're cutting so much stuff out. You kind of have to decide, like, which thing do I dig into and which part do I not? But then other things, I think, work out better when you're telling him so condensed because if you bring back an old claremont plot from 40 issues ago for his retelling it's one issue ago so that stuff can work better but he just sort of like stayed pretty true to the claremont stuff kind of told it his version with his art and it was a decent hit i think it was a cult it was liked well even if it didn't sell gangbusters and it sold well enough that they're now doing a fantastic four grand design by michael fife uh, who does Cor- Corpra- Copra, the uh, Suicide Squad-ish indie book. But this name on it is Tom... Oh, no, Tom Scully. Uh, Michael Fife's doing a different thing. Okay. Tom Scully, right. Tom Scully did... Uh, um, he's done a bunch of things. But <laughs> the thing I mostly know from, he did a Transformers vs. GoBots, uh, or Transformers vs. G.I. Joe miniseries that was totally bonkers. Um, and people okay. loved. And he does, like... And he, all, in his normal comics, puts, like, 60 panels uh, on a page. So he's perfect for a retelling of this. And he's definitely got a Kirby-esque style to his art already. So he's a good choice to uh, redo Fantastic Four. Uh, the beginning of this is really fun because he has to sort of, like, lay all the groundwork. Because, like, so many Fantastic Four... Or so, so many Jack Kirby Fantastic Four stories involve, like... Other species and other civilizations and other alien races, which each have these long histories. And he sort of tries to assimilate all of them into one unified history here. Yeah, he starts with uh, Galactus. He starts with like the birth of Galactus. And then he was born at the beginning of our universe. Yeah, and then there's who is a survivor from a previous universe. Yeah. And then there's four elemental creatures in our earth who i guess that's the eternals or whatever yeah i i don't totally know all of it but like it's it's fun to see him lay the groundwork for things which otherwise might be confusing like rama tuts traveling back in time to egypt from the future and then like the inhumans rising as a separate species and how they are related to the kree in some way yeah it, it's it's fun it's also interesting because right now Marvel's also doing a history of the Marvel Universe by Mark Wade and Javier Rodriguez, and they're also sort of doing this. They've like retold Marvel from the birth of the universe, and I think they're now at like uh, they're they're getting into like the eighties, nineties era soon. 
um, like Black Costume, I think, is coming. Secret Wars, I think, is either coming up or has come up soon and that. So it's fun that Marvel has all these books right now that are just sort of trying to make sense of Marvel history. And this one's sort of not necessarily... This is not like the new continuity that Marvel will adhere to. It's just for this book. But it's fun, like, even in the retelling, because it's going chronologically, the FF show up before their origin. Right, because they go back in time. Yeah. So we they see... They first we, show up in Egypt. Right, yeah. Um, but it's not, like, mentioned that it's a Fantastic Four that we're hearing the story of. It's just like... These four people. Uh, Ramatut takes an invisible queen. Yep. And it's just, we know. Uh, we get to the birth of Namor, like, his parents' meaning is human father and his Atlantean mom. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of a Little Mermaid-style romance where she falls in love with a landlubber. We see that dude uh, that Johnny and Wyatt Wingfoot discover in the tomb, whatever oh, his yeah. name was. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. Lots of fun stuff like that. We see Blackbeard, or Thingbeard, as it's called in this story. Yeah, Thingbeard. Um, he makes Thingbeard Blackbeard's rival. Yeah, it doesn't make him Blackbeard. Yeah. Um, then we get into the actual arrival of our main characters. We see the FF as children. And he gives kind of a page to each one. Yeah, uh, one page for the Storms as a pair, but otherwise Doom gets a page, Reed gets a page, Ben gets a page, and the Storms get a page. Yep. Um, and then we get to their origin, which has always been sort of a not great story that everybody has sort of tried to improve. And this is this is better than it's done. Although it's funny, he saves a lot of the images from issue one. It's it, one of the fun things about reading this was seeing like which panels did he just recreate because they're so important. Like the iconic image of Ben first turning into the thing, which is definitely burned into my own brain. Yeah, is here kind of as as it was. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of panels from issue one that are sort of just kept. Yeah, like uh, Ben in the water underneath when he like kind of climbs into the sewers to get to the. Yep. Yeah. I mean, he he has like Reed in the shadows firing the flare. That's sort of not important. Johnny flying up through the car mm-hmm. that he was fixing, which is from issue one. It's fun. Yeah, it, it's also interesting because he has. I mean, this issue is probably like uh, I don't even know how many pages it is because there's a lot of back matter. Um, it is. Um, like 40 pages, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he spends so much time on those first couple issues um, before he even gets in, like, before he starts really moving. But I think that's interesting. I think it's fun. It's like these are important. Uh, and it sort of ends with the arrival of the Silver Surfer. Yeah, it ends. Uh, this is just issue one, and, it, and this issue happens to end right before the Galactus story begins. Uh, it was also fun reading this right after our reread because. Everything's so fresh in my mind. I'm looking forward to the next issue. Yeah. Because it's going to cover stuff that's also fresh in my mind. And then after that, it's going to cover stuff I don't know before it gets to the burn, I guess. I don't know how deep into the Fantastic Four is if he's going to go all the way or if he's just going to a certain point. Because the X-Men Grand Design didn't go. I don't think it went all the way up to modern times. I think it was mostly just Claremont. Maybe he'll just go through Kirby. I don't think so. I mean, he's already halfway through it then. Unless it's just a two-issue mini. Yeah. Through burn, uh, I think he'll go. I think he'll go further. I wouldn't be surprised if he went through Heroes Reborn, even. But we'll see. This is an w- interesting thing in comic books, especially when we're reading '60s comic books, which is like, sort of like uh, fetishizing. Although that sounds like kind of a negative word, but sort of like having fun with the continuity or the history, like the meta story. Like there's the there's the fun of the comics issues issue by issue is this a good issue is this a good issue or if it's an arc of six issues is that a good arc but then there's like knowing the whole world history of marvel comics and its interlocking story threads and there's been enough of that there's been many many things that depend on you having some familiarity you the reader some familiarity with all of that you know like kurt Busick's marvels like you sort of have to already know these stories to really enjoy it. And then this this one, I think, counts. Like, you sort of have to already have some familiarity with the mythology of the FF to enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, it's like Marvel handbooks and things like that. Right, There's right. There's a place for people who just want the info. Um, and the more artfully it's given to you, I think, the better it is. But 
Um, people just sort of love like, oh, this, this, these comics have existed for, what are we talking now, uh, 60, 70 years? Are we 80 years? There should be some term for it. Like, you know how there's like, you know, a meta story or something mm-hmm. applies to when you're breaking the fourth wall or it's aware that it's a comic or something like that. There should be one where it's like a history of the fictional history like a supra history or some term for like, oh, this is a supra history story. I mean, that's a little bit what Alan Moore does, right? With his like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. It's sort of him making sense of all these different books and how they could all exist in the same world, even though those stories don't exist. It's fun to see how he puts the invisible uh, man in the same story as Jekyll and Hyde. And then even like as he goes through the years, being like, so if these guys existed, what what does that do to the moon landing? And how does that tie into the books of that era? And yep. Like it, it, it's making sense of all this stuff that isn't real. It's not like he's telling the history of Earth. He's telling this fictional history of Earth that sort of makes sense yeah. based on what we know. Uh, it's 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 fun. I like it, but it is a type of story. Um, his the history fetishizing. It's like it's a historian basically. It's like the History Channel, but of but of the fake superhero universe. There's uh, fun changes, too, in this. Uh, I'm on a page right now where Spider-Man tries to join the FF, and Spider-Man gets more beat up. Yeah, uh, he's bitten he up loses. more than he can chew here, which is which not the, the comic, way... It, yeah, the comic, it feels sort of like it's a stalemate. If not, right. he wins. Yeah, I'm trying to find that. Um, uh, oh, yeah, there yeah, it is. I don't know. It's like, it's in the middle. He's, like, ripped uh, up, and his eye hole is, like, shattered. He's, like, not villain, good guy, good guy. Yeah, it just seems like he is... Uh, uh, like beaten almost like in the last it just shows a thing punching him in the face uh, which you know makes sense the FF should handle Spider-Man better other than the Spider-Man's very popular um, uh, we there's see- lots of little changes that I think are just fun I'm gonna I'm, I texted you a bunch I'm just gonna read the ones that I texted you about okay but like Johnny has the uh, when it when they can't fly the rocket to Mars Johnny's the one who goes we should jack it and I think that's just fun that it's Johnny's idea yeah um, Plus, like he's, really, he's like, been presented as a juvenile delinquent up until then. who's like stolen cars, so that's something he it makes it sense to his, the character as he's being presented here. Yeah, it gives him a little layer that isn't present in the comics we just read. Yeah, there's a bit where the thing has been turned normal, and he turns back into the thing to fight off uh, an android, but by using the uh, wizard's wonder gloves in the comics. But in this, he has like a solution that Reed devised, which is a cleaner version of that. Uh, the Storm's dad is sort of reworked because he sort of comes back in the real comics and gets captured by Skrulls and uh, then impersonated by Skrulls. And at the very end of that storyline in the real comics, he is just sent back booby-trapped with a bomb on him and he doesn't let them come closer. He, like, holds the bomb in so that the FF don't get hurt and he sacrifices his life. But in this is this whole bit where Johnny and him go to the Skrull planet and he sacrifices himself to save Johnny. Oh, just yeah. gives him a little more agency. Uh, Sue's way more into Namor in these. Like, is very like even when she marries Reed, she's still thinking about Namor, which is not present for sure in the Lee Kirby stuff. It's sort of dark to think about, um, but more, know, but that, more interesting. Sure, it's more interesting. That's sad a little bit. Um, yeah, there's just sort of fun things. Or like when they fight the Hulk in the comics, I think he is. They stop him because Rick Jones has like a pill or a solution turn the Hulk back into Banner and then get out of there. But unless they do something with Ant-Man. Oh, right, right. Um, which is, again, just sort of a little less... Oh, uh, we also had a cure all along that we just didn't use. Right. <laughs> I don't know. There's just, like, fun things like that throughout. Uh, uh, I like that yeah. Dra- Dragon Man is still shown to be, like, napping on the big mattress and pillow that, that, that Jack Kirby drew him on. That panel survived into this grand design ad- adaptation. The panel from, like, issue two, where Human Torch quits, is also in here almost exactly. Who needs you, he says, and flies off. Yeah. That's, like, uh, 20 pages in. But it's, like, that's, you know, barely important to the story. The important part of that story is that he discovers Namor. Um, but it is a cool panel when the Human Torch leaves. Anyway, it's really fun. It's really beautiful. I'm, I'm excited for the remaining issues. I like after an issue in the original Mole Man story when they torch Monster Island and sink it, Sue goes, I just feel bad for the monsters, which is something they don't say in the issue, but is true. Mm-hmm. The, the, silver, the Silver Surfer sort of surfing amongst the meteors almost feels like a lift, too. I'd have to pull it up to see. It, it's definitely 
Very similar. It's an approximation. It's sort of grander. Because I remember, because this has got the rudder showing in it. You and I looked at this panel and made fun of how there's a rudder on the surfboard. Yeah. Uh, It looks rad. It's a really cool drawing. Yeah. I mean, it's Tom Scully's, uh, and I'm sorry I was talking about Michael Fife, who's also a great artist, but maybe it would be better for a Ditko retelling. Um, Tom Scully is a great, great artist, and so he's a fun choice for this. Well, he's put a lot of work into this, it's clear. Yeah. Uh, It definitely feels like a book that he was, that he probably would like wanted to do even if Marvel didn't ask him to do it sort of thing or it feels like that yeah it feels it's like it, oh, you're it, asking it, me to do this thing I've always sort of wanted to do yeah I labor mean. of love for sure um yeah so uh, we recommend it we recommend it FF fans yeah it just sort of came out right now while we've been recapping this so if you've gone through this whole recap and didn't reread the issues or did reread the issues this could be another fun way to get another look at them Kev, should we talk about what's what's next for our podcast? Yes. Well, let's talk about what's next. So, so we're taking a short break. Right? Well, we have one more episode. We're going to do a Watchmen oh, right. episode next week, a sort of a coda, which is not really related to the FF season, but the HBO. HBO has released the Watchmen television series, so it's on our brain. So before we take a break, we're just going to do an episode on Watchmen. We'll go over the first issue of Watchmen and sort of talk yeah. about the series in general. So and we'll go page by page for the first issue only and then talk about the rest of it sort of. Just our feelings uh, about it. There's a million podcasts on Watchmen right now, including one by Damon Lindelof and Craig Mazin. Damon Lindelof, the guy who's created the HBO series. But um, but if you really want to know Watchmen, you're going to come to us. We're the ones who I think are best poised to talk about it. So are you a fan he, of the HBO show? Great. Don't listen to the guy who's making it. Listen, listen to, to us. two guys unrelated. Yeah. We did read. I read Watchmen as it came out, which Damon Lindelof did not. So I think that means I know Watchmen better than him. Hmm, I did not either. Okay. I remember you reading it, but I think I was also nine. You were. <laughs> when did it come out? 85? 86. Uh, right, so I was 11. I should have read it. <laughs> it's on you. Um, um, though I I think I flipped through it and skimmed it at that time. It's pretty dense for an 11-year-old. But I don't think I really read it until later. Well, we'll talk about it more next week. But I think I read it later on and then, then we're skipped gonna... the back matter and skipped the pirate stuff the first time as a kid. Yeah. Uh, understandable. So then we're then that'll be the end of season three. I'm sorry, season two. And then we're going to take a break. And probably in the beginning of the new year, we'll come back with season three, which is going to at least include the first six issues of The Incredible Hulk. The Jack That's Kirby what we're starting Incredible with. Hulk. And that might be the whole season. We might add more to that. But that it's going to have that. Um, yeah, then we'll, and we'll do other things. So, and that hopefully we, I think we said the same thing at the end of last year. Uh, and then we ended up not starting for a couple more months, but I think our plan is to start January 8th. Right. So we have to talk over, we have to talk with the campfire people also to see if they have a preference, but yeah, um, that's our rough plan. We're aiming for very early January, um, to come back, but we're here next week. Yep. And, um, I'm excited to do it. And we're going to, I think we're having a rule of thumb, although nothing is fixed in place to only do one issue per episode as, as you know, this, this season we would do like 10 sometimes mm-hmm. six or seven at least. So now we're going to try to stick to one issue per episode. Cause we think the people want to reel on. That's just way easier, but we're probably not going to cover complete runs. Like if we were going to do the fantastic four over again, we might just do, the Inhumans story and the Galactus saga and that's it or something like that. Yeah. Um, just like that. Well, that'd still be like 12 issues, but, um, but we would in 12 episodes rather than, right. We would spend 12 episodes and then do like one episode, a setup and one episode post time talking about where that leads to or what our wrap up. Yeah. Yeah, Um, baby. And we might do multiple visits to the same creator run. Like we could do, uh, um, Oh, here's the first four issues by this crew. Like, uh, we're not doing Sandman right away, but like, if we did Sandman, maybe we would do Seasons of the Mist once and then come back later and do Game uh, of You. A Game of You or something like that. Yeah. So it wouldn't all be in the same season, but we will touch on it here and there. Uh, and we think that'll be easier to swallow for our listeners, you guys. Yeah, a bit more of a sampler platter. 
Um, we're still guided by stuff that both Kevin and I love. So we're going to skew a little older, you know, my, especially I, I'm the limiting factor in that. Kevin has never stopped reading comics, but my main knowledge, especially of mainstream comics, is 80s and early 90s. Although I've, I've, I've dipped my toe in a bunch here or there. Um, so it's going to be these two middle-aged men talk about old comics mostly. But um, yeah, one issue per episode and smaller excerpts from larger runs. Although I always had yeah. a special place in my heart for the time we went through 102 issues of the Fantastic Four. Yeah, I mean, uh, part of that, I think, was also that we did the complete Ditko Lee run, so it didn't feel fair to Kirby to not cover his epic Marvel run. Uh, he just did too much of it. It's his fault. If only um, Kirby didn't quit uh, after issue 33 before he hit his peak. <laughs> that would have been a tragedy. Yeah, it would have been the worst thing. We wouldn't even be talking about it if he left at issue 33, right? What issue would that be? Well, it got good again. It would be like after the Thing Hulk fight and uh, maybe – I think we'd be starting the Frightful Four stuff. Well, I guess uh, Ditko actually left after issue 38, right? Yeah. So that would be defeated by the Frightful Four. Oh, it would be just getting good. You would have one great arc there at the end, but not as good as what was about to happen, the Inhumans. Yeah, it would be a bummer. It would be like right before the best stuff, but it, it was basically where I felt like, oh, I could see where this is going now. It's just kind of found its rhythm, and then he quits. Oh, I don't like that world. Well, we live in this one, so we're up, we're saved. Uh, I'm I'm moving though. I've got plans to move to that world. Well, let me know how it is. Yeah, I can also leave you a forwarding address. Yeah, give me an email. It's universe six one seven. That's Boston, I guess. Uh, 616 is the Marvel Universe. Oh, okay. Is that because of uh, Alan Moore's number? No. Because of Alan Moore's Captain Britain stories. Some creators hate that. Uh, and some creators love that. I think it's cool. Uh, uh, at some point, they renamed, I think, Marvel Earth Prime or, or Universe Prime or something. Because it doesn't make sense that our universe would not be the main one. But I think that's what was cool about it to me. Yeah, we're just the 616th. Yeah. Okay, if you guys want to email us, you can email us at screwitspidey at gmail, which is the email we've kept from our first season. We also have an Instagram account, screwitcomics, and a Twitter account, screwitcomics. Yeah, and I'm way behind at Fantastic Four stuff, so I'm going to try to we'll see where I am by the time the Watchmen episode hits, but I might break from recapping the FF comics, do the Watchmen stuff, and then go back and finish up the FF stuff since we're taking a break till January You'll have time. Um, so the Watchmen stuff can be on the Instagram when we're talking about it. Yep. We'll see. We'll see. Anyway, follow that Instagram account. I, it's a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good. It's, I, I, I love it. I think that's it, Kevin. Yeah, well, uh, this was a 102 issues of fun. 102 issues. Yeah, we did it. I feel an accomplishment. It's like we climbed a mountain, but way lazier. Yeah, we did it sitting in chairs in front of microphones. <laughs> right, I'll, t- I'll talk to you next week when we talk about Watchmen. Yeah, see, see, I'm excited Me too. for that. Me too. All right. Bye-bye. Screw it. Screw it. We're just going to Hi, folks. Sean Watkins here. I'm here to tell you about my podcast slash album called This Is Who We Are. That's right. It's a podcast and a record all rolled into one. Each episode features one song off the record paired up with a conversation with a guest who is related to that song in some way. Guests include Jackson Brown, Inara George, Kate Micucci, and the conversations aren't about these songs specifically. The songs just serve as sort of a topical springboard that hopefully will lend a little context to this new album of mine. Sort of like a modern day version of liner notes, only much more personal. The podcast and the album are both called This Is Who We Are. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts.